welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shaba, to wish you a happy new year and discuss Air France KLM's recent investor day. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this, uh, this Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, good, Ned. Welcome back after our break. It's uh, nice to be uh, back immersed in uh, airline news again. It is. It is. We're we're back after our holiday break, Christmas and New Year's. Hopefully, all of you listeners had a good holiday season uh, wherever you are and whatever you celebrate. Uh, but yeah, do you did you do any flying, Jay? Oh yeah, we were down in Florida for the uh, for for much of the break. Uh, so got got a little bit of sunshine and uh, flew uh, a nice and empty empty flight back. So it was uh, <laughs> it was very easy easy travels for me. Nice, nice. We we went the opposite direction. We spent Christmas in in the Rockies and had a white Christmas. So it was beautiful, if a little chilly, uh, but uh, did not have empty flights. But they were mm-hmm. smooth and on time. So can't ask for more. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that's uh, probably uh, better than we could have hoped for the previous holiday season. If uh, our listeners will recall the uh, the whole Southwest debacle uh, a year ago and. It was just uh, yeah things things seem to have gone a lot smoother for for U.S. airlines this uh, winter season. So uh, hopefully this we'll get another good. yeah. Hopefully it'll continue through twenty twenty four. We can hope. We can hope. Well, as soon as as I mentioned at the top, we are recording on Wednesday, January third, and this is the day after Japan Airlines Flight five sixteen, an uh, Airbus A three fifty flying from Sapporo to Tokyo Haneda, uh, collided with a. Uh, Japanese Coast Guard Dash 8 on the runway at Haneda Airport. You know, we're not going to talk about this today. You know, we, if you want in-depth information on this, I, I recommend any number of other sources. But, you know, we are aware and we are, are happy to report everyone on the A350 was able to get out alive. Fortunately, there were five souls lost on the Dash 8. But, you know, it's uh, it's something we'll be following. and something that will teach uh, the industry a lot about how carbon fiber aircraft handle major disasters. With that, we are going to talk about Air France KLM. Jay, take it away. Sure. So uh, Air France KLM uh, did a big Investor Day event uh, just before the uh, the year end, just before the holidays, and uh, they um, it was the first first big big one they did since uh, 2019. So 2019, uh, if you remember, Air France. Uh, some of you may remember uh, Air France KLM uh, got a new CEO. They brought on Ben Smith from uh, from Air Canada. And he uh, kind of had a big, big job in front of him because Air France KLM was uh, pretty, pretty grossly underperforming its peers. And yep. a big part of the problem, and I can give you some numbers here in 2019, and uh, and Smith came on in 2018, just to be clear. But but uh, 2019, just to give you a sense of what the situation was like before the pandemic, uh, Air France KLM earned an operating margin of just four percent. Um, Lufthansa, the Lufthansa Group, which has issues of its own, uh, did a little bit better, 5.5. And then IAG, which is British Airways and Iberia and Airlines, et cetera, uh, 13%, so just, just way, way ahead. And specifically, more specific to Air France's problems um, was, was the French part of the business. Air France in 2019 earned an operating margin of less than 2%. So big, big uh, issue there and sort of job number one. For Smith, as he was coming in, was okay. How do we get our France fixed? I mean, KLM was more or less doing okay, 
Um, they have some other businesses too, Transavia, low-cost carrier, and they have a maintenance business and a cargo, et cetera. But uh, how do we fix Air France? So if we can just fast forward to 2023, uh, we don't have fourth quarter numbers in yet, of course, but uh, it looks like Air France will have um, improved their results more than most other airlines in Europe. So that's a good thing. Um, yes. If you look at the margins, yeah. Like if you look in, in the third quarter, and, and something very rare happened the third quarter of 2023, uh, Air France actually outperformed. Uh, okay, oh, sorry, it did, did, this was not true in the third quarter, but it was true in the first and second quarters. Air France K, uh, actually outperformed KLM, uh, which is very, very unusual. Um, but let's not, let's not forget, and we've talked about this at length, you know, KLM faces its own set of challenges. You know, we didn't have the, the capacity constraints at Schiphol this summer, but they've, they've faced, you know, they still have labor challenges and, and other things. And of course, the threat by the Dutch government to actually shrink the number of flights at Schiphol. So KLM has faced challenges that are some of what are outside their control. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, true. And uh, there was... Um... The KLM also uh, something they talked about at the Investor Day event. Uh, management sort of talked about how uh, KLM's products may have been, particularly premium products, may have been a bit uh, a bit off. Or you know, if you, if you recall, twenty twenty three was just a great great year for premium demand, and Air France took great advantage of that. Whereas KLM just didn't quite have the the most up to date products, and perhaps not in the right market. So. Uh, that was another reason, you know, maybe where where KLM fell behind a little bit, and they'll be addressing that. They're certainly uh, investing a lot of money into uh, upgrading KLM's premium products. Um, yes. But 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 as I mentioned, Air France, you know, sort of arresting the uh, the the short haul losses in particular. So Air France has always done more or less fine on long haul, but they lose yeah. a lot of money domestically in particular. And this goes back. I mean, I remember writing about this twenty years ago, where you know, Air France's domestic routes, just, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in losses. And over time, they've they've done a lot to uh, to mitigate that, but it still uh, remains a problem. And the latest, um, the latest way that they're going to, they're looking to address this is moving everything that they have at Orly Airport. So Paris has two major airports. Yeah. Uh, there's actually three, if you want to count Beauvais, where Ryanair is having. But it's basically Charles de Gaulle, which is where Air France has their big kind of global hub, most yeah. of their long-haul routes. And then there's Orly, which is a very slot-controlled, a slot-constrained airport. Um, a lot of, you know, short-haul flying, a little bit of long-haul flying to the overseas territories, uh, you know, like Martinique, you know, where French have former French colonies and whatnot, French overseas territories. Uh, so what they're going to do now, in short, is take all of that stuff at Orly and turn it from Air France into Transavia France, which is the low-cost carrier uh, within the group. And yes. in the past, now you say, well, why didn't they do that five years ago? And in Air France, has it's it's not something that you know just came to mind overnight, but in the past, Air France has run into terrible opposition from its pilots. Um, they've gone through some of the most damaging labor strikes in, you know, in the industry, uh, in industry history um, over this Transavia issue um, on two separate occasions. I mean, first they wanted to, you know, grow from, I don't know, it was like four, 14 to 40 planes or something like that. 
and the pilot struck the airline uh, and you know lost hundreds of millions of dollars that year. And then they tried to expand it again. There was another. So finally, they've got the pilots are on board now to do this. So uh, it's going to take time. They're going to train. They've got to transfer all the slots over. Um, but eventually, they hope that this will finally get the domestic French stuff in order. And they still fly. When I say domestic, a lot of that stuff is um, they operate shuttle service from Orly to. Uh, it's, they have it's three. They have three shuttle routes: Nice, yes. Toulouse, and Marseille. Marseille. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So those three shuttle routes. And they'll they'll cut back on some frequencies when it goes over Transavia, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah, and they they say yeah, it's it's still you know, um, they say even if Transavia, even if they lose money on those routes, it'll still be better. It'll lose less than Air France flying it. So we'll see. And they're gonna, you know, they have a big plan of uh, of uh, allowing Transavia passengers to accrue frequent flyer benefits, you know, from their from their loyalty plan. Um, and which, which I should add, by the way, is another sort of big component of Air France KLM's new business plan is that they're going to really try to grow their loyalty program, Flying Blue. They're never going to get it to where, you know, to where what the size or the revenue generating power, as uh, you see in the U.S., you know, with these big U U.S. loyalty programs, there are just some different regulatory reasons and other market and market demographic reasons and whatnot, why, why U.S. loyalty programs are so much more massive. But uh, but they have 20, I don't know, 25 million people in the Flying Blue program, which, you know, it's not Delta is well over 100 million. So it's considerably smaller, but uh, but it's nothing, to, you know, it's nothing to, to sneeze at. I mean, it's, it's not it's, insignificant. And, not and we insignificant. know that they're, they're, they're actively looking to build that. I mean, Flying Blue has come up uh, several times with the SAS acquisition that we've talked about. And uh, even, you know, they're not saying they're going to merge SAS's loyalty program into Flying Blue yet, at least. But, you know, just tying those programs together is going to make Flying Blue a lot more um, attractive to travelers. And then if they did actually merge them down the road, that would bring in a lot of, you know, the 10 million plus, uh, you know, more members from Scandinavia, for sure. And selling loyalty miles is just very lucrative endeavor for airlines as uh you know as, as i think a lot of airlines have, have discovered over the years so that's uh yeah that's uh, they they really think they can um do well with that so there's uh we have uh if uh for those of you who uh, subscribe to airline weekly you'll be able to read uh in our next issue coming out monday we'll have a very very in-depth look at at the new air france klm business strategy uh, there's, uh, you know, we're just, we're just, we're just touching on some of the highlights here, yeah, exactly. but, uh, <laughs> right. But, um, there's, uh, there's a whole lot more and, uh, it involves Air France and KLM and Transavia and Flying Blue and, <laughs> and all the brands involved. Um, I guess one other, you know, just highlight to point out in this discussion is, uh, as you mentioned, they are going in for SAS, a 20% stake for now with an option to buy control after a couple of years. Um, what didn't come up, interestingly enough, is uh, Tap Air Portugal. I think everybody kind of, well, I mean, Ben Smith himself and and the rest of Air France, you know, the management team has, they've made no secret that they're they're interested. They're at least entertaining the idea of, of buying Tap if it becomes available, if the Portuguese government decides to sell it. Uh, so there, there's that. Um, didn't, again, it wasn't really discussed much in, in, the, in the investor day. Uh, and then something that 
really doesn't get talked about, but I think all of you know everyone listening should keep it in the back of their heads is that uh, if IAG doesn't ultimately get regulatory approval to buy Air Europa in Spain, you would have to believe that Air France KLM uh, might step in and, and try, try to buy it itself. And right. They, and I remember you know, that Ben Smith or, or another leader there has said that Air France KLM was involved with Air Europa in the past. So they yeah. have experience with the airline. And, you know, I don't remember exactly what they did. Maybe maybe you, you have a better memory on that. But they, they have worked with the carrier. And so they have familiarity there. Very much so. And uh, yeah, and I think they uh, IEG kind of stole it from out under their nose and they weren't <laughs> too happy about that. So, yeah, I think they did still they would love to have that. I think when with their with their France KLM and this is you know to an extent true Lufthansa as well, but um, I think when they look over at what IAG you know the the margins that they've been able to achieve by being so transatlantic heavy, both North Atlantic and South Atlantic, I think you know you have to believe you have to sort of sense what's going through their mind is hey we we would like to become more transatlantic uh, as well, and so you know they. During the investor day, they did discuss a little bit about why they did not aggressively pursue Alitalia's successor ITA. They kind of let Lufthansa take it. Um, they right. didn't specifically say it was because, you know, ITA is not that transatlantic heavy. But I think, you know, that's one reason why it perhaps doesn't have as much appeal as the TAP Air Portugal. Uh, so, you know, there's a, they did, interestingly, they they were talk, talking a little bit about ITA they talked about how just the Milan airport situation is very challenging. There's, you know, basically three airports um, in the region uh, and you've got, you know, the two, you, you really, when you have a split airport, the problem is, is you've got all your long haul flights. Altai's got all the, put all their long haul flights at Malpensa airport, but Linate is kind of the more convenient uh, short haul airport. And so if you have everything split, it's impossible to or very difficult to foster connecting traffic. That makes, you know, that's been sort of a, you know, a big uh, crutch for Alitalia for, <laughs> for, for decades now. And they also mentioned how even in Rome, um, which is a very big market and a, you know, huge tourist market as well. And you can even support plenty of long haul traffic. But the problem is because it's so leisure oriented, it is very seasonal. So yeah, you can make all the money in the world in July in Rome, but then what do you do in January? And right. I don't think yeah. Air France KLM has an appetite for you know dealing with those kind of seasonal issues. So a little bit you know more than perhaps uh, you wanted to know about Altai's successor, but <laughs> but that's uh, that's kind of their thinking on that. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see if anything else comes up. I mean, I think we're getting to the point where there's not too many uh, independent players left on the chessboard. But uh, right. there's, you know, there are the finiers of the world and whatnot, but, uh, you know, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Right, you know, the thing that struck me about Air France KLM's um, investor day was, you know, they are very bullish on their their, their strategy to, you know, both participate in consolidation, uh, you know, from from you with SAS and maybe more, but just overall, they've cut costs. They're streamlining the airlines on the fleet side. You know, they've got this plan to to get the wide body fleets sort of streamlined around the Airbus A three hundred and fifty and the Boeing seven eight seven and and triple seven. But um, you know, they're 
course, this is what you do at an investor day. You're bullish. And they were very bullish and they're very confident about it. And frankly, like you highlighted at the start, you know, the the margins are coming up and they're showing progress. Now, there's a lot of questions. Will the shift of like Orly to Transavia with Air France pulling mainline out, will that actually pay off as they hope? We shall see. You know, that's sort of a TBD. But, you know, given the state of the market currently in Europe, it doesn't surprise me that flying fewer, you know, traditional shuttle routes is probably a good idea. You know, Air France CEO, uh, um, Air France's CEO has said multiple times that, you know, she never sees the domestic French market coming back like it was pre-pandemic. And there's numerous factors there. But, you know, one thing is people are just adopting trains at a, at a bigger, at a larger scale than they were before. And so, you know, it seemed they they seem to be making the right moves, is what I think I'm trying so. To say. Yeah, I think I think everything, and even back, and and I wouldn't consider this you know 2023 Investor Day strategy as a radical break by any means with what they announced in 2019. It's very much, uh, uh, and and in some ways more. Of, I, I I'm not saying this in a dismissive manner, but it is it is more of the same in a, in a lot of sense. Um, a lot of what they set out to do in 2019. Uh, they've achieved, um, and there's there's more of that to do, uh, and so so a lot of the new business plan involves that. I talked about you know the, some of the stuff they're doing at Orly, um, which is you know that that's new. But uh, I mean, good example is um, you know they really simplified the so Air France used to have just a million, and I just full disclosure, I many many years ago I used to work at Air France. This was before the uh, the KLM merger, um, so I back back and even back in the day when I was there. Uh, it was just a very, very complex airline to run because you had so many different configurations of aircraft. Uh, you know, this one had a first class. This one only had a business class. This one had a bigger business class. This one, you know, because we're flying into the islands, we have more, you know, economy. Well, they really did a lot to simplify those layouts. Um, and there's more of that to do. Uh, and then, of course, they're getting, as you mentioned, you know, they're just they're really betting very heavily on the A350. Now, Air France, A350-900 particular, they've also ordered the 1000s, but um, they, it's funny, someone, I don't know if it was Smith himself or one of his deputies, mentioned that they kind of view the A350-900 as like their version of uh, Ryanair with the 737-800s, you know, for, for so yeah. many years, it was just... You know the enabler, the uh, the the aircraft that really made it all happen, um, and they say you know they just got a great price on it. They love the you know they love the economics that they get on it. So and and they really you know Air France and this is actually very different from Lufthansa. Lufthansa, which has a very checkered kind of a checkered historical record of aircraft ordering, I and mean, if you think of some of the planes that they've ordered uh, that just haven't worked out very well from them, you know, too too many A three forties and whatnot. Um, they were slow to get the 787s, et cetera. Air France is a very good record, I think. Um, they were, you know, the first airline to fly the 777-300ER, which for them was just incredibly, incredibly, uh, you know, worked work, work like a charm. I mean, that's just a fantastic aircraft for them on the routes, on so many of the routes that they fly. Um, and I should say that eventually, you know, those are kind of getting a little bit long in the tooth now. And at some point, maybe not too far from now, they're going to have to decide what are we going to replace those with. Those are those are those are big aircraft, triple seven three hundred ERs. Right. So one option is just to, just to do more A three fifty one thousands, and that would probably be the more logical option given how heavily they're you know doubling down in the A three fifty. But they could wind up ordering you know the triple seven X as well, 
which I'm sure Boeing for sure. is for shocking. Sure. But I think you know, one of the things that I'm increasingly wondering about is as we've seen, like, say, the issues with the Pratt and Whitney geared turbofan engines. Uh, and then we had Lufthansa order Maxes just before Christmas, uh, which is a big break for them. They've been all about streamlining their fleet for years. I'm just wondering if airlines are pertinent of the risks of going all in on one type for their fleet. You know, it makes sense to have a little diversity just in case you have a situation like the engines or, you know, there was a 787 grounding years ago, you know, just making sure there's a little diversity there. So if if something, you know, one type faces issues, you're not completely, you know, up the creek, you have some flexibility that that does mm-hmm. come to mind as I'm thinking about it for especially for an airline group the size of Air France. Even Ryanair has a, a handful of uh, Airbus narrow bodies on, on the yes. property these days. So, yes. Yeah. So your uh, yeah your thesis is absolutely correct that uh, yeah we've we've kind of entered an era where it's it's uh, a little bit yeah the, the the risks are elevated of being overly dependent. And actually, I don't want to go back to the um, you know the Japan Airlines uh, um, issue there, but uh, the the event um, in Tokyo. Um, but you do wonder if something like that, you know, a, 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 you know, an air disaster were to require or something, you know, short of that were to require the grounding of an aircraft like the A350. I mean, you know, where, where would that put so many airlines? Um, It's yeah. So it's, that's uh, something you definitely have to consider. Uh, So yeah, maybe, I mean, the triple seven, 300, or sorry, the the triple seven X's would be, uh, I mean, there's, there's definitely, there's, there's absolutely roots uh that air france flies where that plane would be fantastic i mean but uh you know are there enough of them is there, that that's you know a question i'll have to and will they get a good price on it you know those are all questions that uh they'll have to answer right right and there's costs to adding uh, another type to the fleet you know that you don't get so there's pluses and minuses of both sides yeah. and ultimately it is down to very experienced fleet uh, decision makers to to decide what is a you know a risk worth taking versus the savings there. But we shall see, you know. But that's yeah, down the road. Yeah. That is down. And the was road. right. And I should mention that all the A three eighties at Air France are gone. Um, so good riddance there. They'll. Uh, <laughs> I think Ben Smith. Uh, he every morning when he wakes up, he uh, looks up to the heavens and say, "Thank thank goodness those are gone." Um, and they, interestingly, another, just on the fleet front, um, two, two other interesting points come to mind. Uh, they, they did mention that, that KLM's most profitable air aircraft on intra-European flying yeah. was the Embraer E2s, the E2 E1 No way, really? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Interesting. They really like that aircraft. I think it just works well. And it's a big aircraft for, yeah. you know, for, for a regional type aircraft. It's, it's big. So it kind of works well with the situation you have in Amsterdam, as you you know alluded to earlier, the capacity restrictions that look likely to, to come. So they're really basically basically the E two with a hundred and thirty ish seats is replacing uh, you know E one ninety E ones with about a hundred seats. So it's it's perfect for up gauging. You get savings from having a more fuel efficient airplane, you know. But I I do really wonder if we're gonna hear you know the group singing the praise of the A321neo once they get that flying, because they only took their first one at Transavia in December 2023. So we haven't really heard how that performs in the fleet, but I'm wondering if we're going to hear the sing. There'll be another airline singing the praises of the, of the 321neo. In, in yeah, every, everyone loves that aircraft when it's when it's in the skies anyway, when the engines are... Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. When it's actually <laughs> flying, everyone And that loves was that the other aircraft. thing I was going to say too, is that, yeah, it, they did... Um, make an interesting move. Air France KLM decided uh, 
to replace uh, Boeing's. They they went for Airbus instead of Boeing on the on the KLM narrow body fleet, which uh, you know was kind of a break with longstanding tradition. There, KLM is you know always a big Boeing narrow body flyer, so they did go. Now Air France at some point. I believe is going to have to make a decision on their narrow body replacements. You have to believe that they'll replace Airbus with Airbus, but who knows? Maybe they'll, you know, they'll listen to UNED and diversify and go with some some Maxes. Um, hey, IAG so, and Lufthansa Group have now added some Maxes, so yeah, you never know. Yeah, yeah. Though, though I admit it would have made a lot more sense for Air France KLM to go with the Max for KLM and the Airbus for Air France, but hey, you know they didn't. You, have would, to you would think that <laughs> <laughs> you would think right, and then Transavia is going. They said, um, interesting that uh, the um, that that KLM is going to have more of the three twenty ones, and then Transavia is going to have more of the three twenties, which sounds a little bit maybe a little counterintuitive. You would think the uh, a low cost carrier would be the one that needs this stuff, in, you know, just the, the very big aircraft, but then. And both both Amsterdam and Paris are earlier slot restricted, so you think, but I guess they, um, yeah, they're really prioritizing just the upgaging at, at Amsterdam. Um, and, and by the way, just to go back to your, uh, you know, your diversification thesis, uh, we should, I don't think we mentioned it, um, Air France KLM does fly uh, 787s as well, so it's not, you know, they, yes, they're going in all. Yes, on, yes, on and they're not, yes, yeah, so. have some 787s. Exactly. They're going to have 787s for, for years to come. Those are relatively new planes. You know, KLM yeah. mm -hmm. has both the, the Dash 9 and, and the Dash 10. So those mm -hmm. will be flying. It's a, it's a small number, though. So it's, you know, I think the question is more like, will they order more 787s down the road just sort of to maintain that day, that fleet diversity, or are they going to stick with the number they have? And, you know, we've seen, like Lufthansa, they've gone the route of, of ordering more 350s and 787s. So they're they're maintaining that, that diversity. They've decided it behooves them to have both types in their fleet in significant numbers. Right, right. And there are definitely some, you know, depending on which variant you're talking about, there's some size discrepancies in there where it totally can make sense to do. To do I mean, many airlines have... Have ordered both, so yeah, nothing, nothing abnormal there. But uh, yeah, we'll see if Air France is done with the seven eight seven for good. Um, kind of seems like that's the case, but uh, you never know. Absolutely. Well, Jay, with that, we have gone on about Air France KLM for a while. We're gonna wrap it up there, uh, listeners. You can always reach myself at er at skift.com. You can reach Jay at js at skift.com. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Okay, Ned. Yep. Good discussion. We'll uh, yeah, see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.